If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. As you can see, uh, we are coming to the end of our time in the book of James uh, as we study uh, through or we go through this series on the book of James together. Although I have realized if you're going through the Sunday school curriculum, uh, the Lord has seen fit for you to go through the book of James again. Uh, so you started in chapter 1 today. So um, hopefully it will be familiar to you. Although uh, I, I did ask a couple of our youth what book we've been talking about on Sundays in the sermons, and they said, I don't know. Is it something about Noah? And I said, no. So, <laughs> um, so anyway, we are in James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. And, and the title of today's sermon is Pure Steadfast Patience. And uh, You've all heard it said about patience before that patience is the one thing you shouldn't pray for, right? Because the Lord will give you things to test your patience. And, and if you're like me, many of you maybe have seen your patience rewarded yesterday because college football is back. And I really enjoy college football and started off with a Kentucky win, and so that was great. Um, and so it, my patience, I guess, in some ways was rewarded. So with that, we're going to go ahead and read James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example, of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we continue this morning. Father, we thank You for this day that You've given us. We thank You for uh, this time that we have together. God, I pray that as we look at Your Word, as we examine uh, this, this latter part of the book of, of James, Lord, that You'll just help reveal in our hearts, You'll reveal uh, how we should follow You. You'll reveal how we need to be more obedient in following You, the attitudes we should have, the way that we should live our life. And Lord, I pray that we'll be changed by that, and You will help us to leave here more committed to following you as you would have us to this morning. God, I pray that you'll be with us and you will reveal how you are speaking to each of us this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So pure, steadfast patience. The first thing we see is the call to be patient. That's the very first words we see in this passage. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Now, obviously, we see the word therefore, and every time we see the word therefore, we ask what it is therefore. This connects back to the passage we spoke about last week. The reality that Jesus is coming back. This is the, the idea of the, the warning, to, uh, boasting about tomorrow. The reality that we don't know what tomorrow holds. That Christ is coming soon. And this whole idea is continued very eminently in this passage. This idea that the Lord is coming soon. The days are short. So therefore, we, we are to be patient. We have the reality that Jesus is coming back. Be patient. This is one of the hardest things that we have to do at times. 
What does it really mean to be patient? It's waiting for something to happen. And what are we being patient until? We are being patient until the coming of the Lord, waiting for the Lord to return. We're going to break down what this all looks like, how we should do that, because James gives us an example here. Gives an example of how we should be patient. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. So we see how the farmer is, is, it waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it. Farming, if you are aware, is not a fast process. You don't put out seeds and immediately the next day reap the fruit of your labor. So he's saying that we should be patient like a farmer is patient. Have any of you tried your hand at gardening or farming or anything like that? It's very difficult. And I may have shared this before with you, but every year we would try, we were left a, a very nice gardening bed, raised flower bed that you could put gardening stuff in, really good soil. And the problem was that June was a very busy month for me. We had VBS, kids camp, and youth camp. And so we would, do, we would work very diligently. We would plant the seeds. We would prepare. We'd get all the old weeds out, prepare it, make sure everything's good. Everything's lined up perfectly, spaced apart just the way it should be. Nothing's planted near what it should be. We did all the preparations. Right? It's the first thing you do. You prepare the ground. And we planted the seeds. We tended it. We cared for it. You let it grow, and then you receive the benefit. But the problem is, every time June would hit, it would get neglected. And so do you know what we didn't often see? The fruit of that labor. Because there was patience involved. In, but in that patience, that doesn't mean that there is absolutely nothing happening. Right? The farmer is waiting for the fruits of his labor. He's waiting for the harvest. But they're not doing nothing. Right? I had a friend of mine, that, he's still a friend of mine, that he farms massive amounts of land. And he's probably one of the busiest people I know. You'd think, well, okay, this is pretty easy job. You just put out some, some seeds and then you pick up the seeds when the fruit comes and, and you're done, right? No, every single day he's got something he has to do to make sure this process works and we go through it. So we see this is, is the example that, of how we should think about our times as Christians. Patience doesn't mean doing nothing. It means doing what must be done while waiting for our intended result. We must do what we have to do while we wait for our intended result. In the same way we've been given in the same way as the farmer has things they must do to care for their crops, we have things that we must do as we live this life as we patiently await the return of our Savior. We see another thing that he says here. They're waiting for, but until it receives the early and the late rains. So what does this mean? What, what, what can we take from this? Right? The, the, pay, the farmer is, is patient until it receives the early and the late rains. There's an understanding there is something that comes before the harvest. There is a fullness of time that must take place before the harvest comes for the farmer. And so when we look at this idea of patience, they know the time of year where they plant, they know the time of year when they reap and the things that come in between. And the Bible is clear and has clear indications of the signs that will, return, that will happen before the return of Christ. We can't hurry the return of Christ. We can't, in our power, will it to happen. Just like the farmer can't will the, pr the production of his crop. There will be a fullness of time. The fullness of things must take place. So when we see these reminders, when we see these things that Scripture talks about, the, the things that Jesus spoke of, the things we see in the letters of Paul, of these things will happen in the last days, these things will happen. And as we look around, we see many of these things happening. But as we look at it, they are a reminder of the work that must be done. We must be even more diligent of what must be done. 
You think about when you, when you bake cookies, if any of you ever bake, and even though I've baked at times, and I did when I first started baking, mix up baking soda and baking powder, and those two aren't interchangeable if you didn't know that. Um, but when we bake cookies, we must be patient until the timer goes off, right? The fullness of time. If you go and you get it before it's ready, well, they're going to be a little gooey, and you might like them that way, but, but if you go too early, they're not cooked, and they're not right to be eaten. If you wait too long, they're going to burn. And so when we think about and we see these things happening in the world around us, when we see these ev evidences of Christ's return being nearer every day, when He tells us, I'm coming soon, we should be diligent about doing the things He's told us to do. We should be diligent about following Him faithfully. As we, we, we shared in the, in the book of, of Mark where it talks about this idea of being alert, staying awake, being ready for when He comes. So this is this idea of the farmer and what he has to do, but it says you also be patient. We're called in the same way to be patient. Patience requires a couple of things. I think patience, first and foremost, requires faith. Patience requires faith. Believing that something is coming. Right? If, if you've ever been involved with, with children and you've maybe had that time where a child was, their parents were a little bit late. Right? But they wait. Why do they wait? Because they know, they hope that they're coming. There's a faith there. You have to believe what will happen is worth waiting for. When I was in my freshman year of college, so I was ready for the college experience, and I went to my first football game. It was the first one of the year, and I went to Lindsey Wilson College, and their big rival was Campbellsville University. We were playing at Lindsey Wilson, so I go, I'm ready. It's a packed house. And within the first or second quarter, it began to storm. Like, not just rain, but like lightning storm. So, they delayed the game, and there was really nowhere to shelter. It was not a, it's not a big, fancy stadium. So I went back to my dorm, and I was like, this game's probably going to get called off. So I go back to my dorm, and, and one of my friends was actually on the team, and the, the girl that he was dating at the time, I said, hey, if, if they start back, let me know. I might come back out there, because it was just a little short storm. And so I go back to my room. I watch a movie, and it's about 1 in the morning, and I get a text that said, hey, they're about to start playing again. I said, what? And so I go back out there, and I and about 15 other people watched one of the best games of my life, where we came back and we won the game, and, and that was the only game I think I ever went to, but the point of it was, most people went home. They didn't wait in their cars, they didn't wait to come back, they didn't believe the game would resume, or they didn't care, and so they weren't patient. Patience requires believing that something's going to happen. Have you ever seen that those times where the, some of the greatest comebacks in sports histories are witnessed by very few fans because everybody's already left? They want to beat the traffic. They don't believe that their team will come back. And so they go home early. So if we want to have faith, if we want to be patient for the Lord's return, we have to believe that He's coming back. We have to have faith and believe in what He has said He's going to do. We have to have faith that He says He's coming back. The patient com patience comes in and informs the way that we live until He does. If you believe that someone is going to do something for you, you don't set, settle for something less in the meantime. Or if someone says that, hey, let's go to dinner later, and maybe they're a few minutes later, if you really believe they're going to be there, you don't go ahead and eat. You wait. So patience means believing what's going to happen. Because of that, patience means living consistently. Patience means living consistently. Living with the imminent reality of what you're hoping for. This means you don't do something different, other contrary to what's going to happen. 
You don't leave if you believe something, there's going to be a comeback. You don't go do something else in the meantime. You do what you need to do to prepare for what's coming. You prepare yourself. Just like the farmer continues to work the plant out, believing the harvest will come, we must be diligent in doing what God calls us to do each and every day of our lives as we await for our Savior. And that's the last thing. And this is the one that we most commonly know and we most commonly think about. Patience means waiting. This is the obvious one, but it doesn't make it any easier. We don't like to wait for things, do we? What's one of the most common types of food that people can eat now? Fast food. It's not waiting food. It's fast food. Because you want to go and you want to get it now and you want to go and get about your life because you're too busy to wait. Right? We don't like to wait. Waiting for something is hard, especially when it's something we really want. And I've said this before, I'm very convinced that as we grow up, we don't really change, just the things we're dealing with changes. So most often I think that we, uh, we when we wait, are kind of like this video of Eliza from a couple years ago. Eliza, okay, you can't eat these until I get back, okay? You need to wait, wait one minute and then you can have some. So, do you ever feel like that? Where, where God has told you, be patient, wait, or, or someone, be patient, wait, wait, wait. Oh, I can't wait any longer. But the Lord has said, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Do we believe, because Jada said in that video, I'm, I'm going to be right back, and then you can have the candy. Then you can have the thing that you want. Jesus says, I'm, I'm coming right back, I'm coming, be patient. But too often we allow the things that entice us to distract us and to distract us from what we're called to do, but we are called to wait. As we move further into this passage, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. They are an example of what patience looks like. The prophets spoke about a hope that was to come, right? We look through the Old Testament and we see them calling people to repentance, calling them to follow the Lord, telling them about what the Lord would do if they would repent, what the Lord was going to do through Jesus who was to come. So what do we see? How, how are they an example to us? They believed God. These, these prophets that, that followed Him and they spoke, they believed God at His Word. They believed that what He's told them to do, what He told them was going to happen. When they, when, he, when they were informed of a Messiah to come, they believed a Messiah would come. When they were told that if they would repent and follow God, they would be forgiven, they believed that. They had the faith that what they were proclaiming on behalf of God was true. Because of that, they lived consistently. They lived their lives as though what they were speaking and what God had shown them was true. Right? When they were told, go and proclaim this to the people, what did they do? They went and proclaimed it to the people. They, they spoke the good news about what Jesus or about what God was doing and what, what he would do through 
Jesus. They lived consistently because they knew that God was true, and they waited. The prophets, the ones who wrote these prophecies about Jesus, who, who proclaimed what would happen of God's goodness, didn't live to see what they proclaimed about. But they waited. They were patient. The Lord fulfilled His promise in Jesus Christ. So they believed it would come, and they believed it was worth living their lives for and giving their lives for in some occasions. Because the next thing we see in this passage is, like the prophets, we must also be steadfast. We must be patient, but we also must be steadfast in our patience. It says, establish your hearts for the Lord, coming of the Lord is at hand. So be patient until the coming of the Lord. Establish your hearts because the coming of the Lord is at hand. So what does it mean to establish your hearts? To, to set up securely, to strengthen our hearts, to let them be firmly planted as opposed to hearts that are easily swayed by the world. I shared um, this Wednesday, so if you missed it, you get to know now. I, I was very badly afflicted this past week with um, poison ivy. Uh, it was very bad. The reason I got it was because I was doing some yard work, and I decided to wear a cutoff, and this one plant I thought didn't need to be where it was, so I was going to rip it out of the ground. And so I wrapped my arm around it, firmly grasped it, and guess what? That plant was steadfast. And I couldn't get it out of the ground. But what I could get from it was the poison ivy that it so happened to be. And so when we think about how we should be in, the, in this world, this world that is so, it's so tumultuous, has so many bad things happening, it's so easy. Every day you look around, there's another thing happening. Another bad thing, another bad news story, another thing that makes you lose hope in the people around you to some extent. What are we called to do in these days? Establish your hearts. Be steadfast. Firmly root yourself. Where? In God, in, in His Word and in Him, to establish ourselves in our salvation and in the faith of the, world, faith of the Lord. Why? Because the, the coming of the Lord is at hand. We've all seen movies where, where something is coming toward a group of people. It's maybe it's soldiers, passengers, people in the middle of a, of a big weather event. When something big, imminent is approaching, what do they say? Brace yourselves. Brace for impact. Right? Prepare yourselves. Get, get secure. This is what James is saying. Establish your hearts. Prepare for the coming of the Lord. Make sure that you are ready. Be firmly rooted in the salvation you believed in. Don't be moved by anything at all because your hope will soon be realized. The hope you've hoped in is coming. This is the same idea we talked about earlier about being alert because it's coming and we have to be aware of it. Mark 13, 33, be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. We can't allow ourselves to be lulled into a false sense of security. There is not a good time to take a, take a nap in this idea of, of, of Christ coming back. We can't be lulled into a false sense of security. Establish our hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. It means it is coming soon. Behold, we consider those prophets blessed who remained steadfast. So we've talked about the, the patience they had, but we're now seeing their steadfastness. So what did they face? They remained steadfast through. They persevered through difficulty. Oftentimes when there was a prophet, a great prophet that we read about in the Old Testament, oftentimes they were one of the only faithful men of God in Israel at the time. All the others had walked away. They were worshiping false gods. They were worshiping other things. They devoted themselves to the ways of the world. And, and oftentimes this one prophet would be 
remaining faithful, called out by God. And they had to remain steadfast at, at threat of death, at threat of people coming against them. They remained steadfast through isolation and loneliness. That's a hard one too, isn't it? If they're the only faithful man of God in, in the land, it's a little lonely. And as we walk this life, as we establish our hearts and prepare for the coming of the Lord, and we don't look like the world around us, we might have to prepare to, to deal with some isolation and loneliness. There's people that I know that as they walk in their life with Christ, there are friends that don't want to be with them anymore. They're like, you're not, you've changed, you're not the same. If we've been changed by God, that's the best way we can be changed. But we must prepare for these things. Steadfastness requires dependence on God. If we're going to be firmly planted, established somewhere, where can it be other than in our God? Every other root will be easily uprooted. But our God is a mighty fortress, a stronghold. And that is where we must plant ourselves securely. It says you've heard of the steadfastness of Job. And we all know what Job went through. Lost his family, his wealth, his health. All of these things were, were taken from him. And he remained faithful to God through it. But then we see this is where the, the, the turning point of this is. And you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So what was the purpose of the Lord in these situations? The display of His goodness and glory through those situations. Those prophets who faced all this hardship and this persecution and this difficulty, what happened because of their steadfastness? The Lord was proclaimed to the people. Oftentimes as they stood facing many, many people, and proclaimed God's goodness, what happened? People were led to repentance. Their difficulty they endured led to the glorification, the exaltation of the Lord and the repentance of His people. What happened in Job's story is, as he suffered and he was faithful, we see him restored at the end of the story. We see the compassion and the mercy of the Lord. Job was restored. The prophet's hope has been revealed. It wasn't for nothing. That's the thing. There is no patience. There is no hope if it's for nothing. Right? That this idea that if, if you wait and you wait and you wait and it doesn't happen, how do you feel? Foolish. Taken advantage of. Your patience was for nothing. Our patience is for something. The most important thing. Our God keeps His promises. And He is compassionate and merciful. So as we wait, and it feels like we're, we've been waiting forever, right? James wrote this. The coming of the Lord is at hand. This was nearly 2,000 years ago. And it's easy to, to, to feel this false sense of security, to feel as though uh, the Lord is not coming back. But why do we wait? Why do we have to stay established and stay ready, even if He doesn't come within our lifetime? It's because of His compassion and His mercy. 2 Peter 3, 8-10 but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that the, with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed." So here's what we see here. The patience of the Lord with sinners is why we must be patient on the Lord. God has been patient with us. He would have been just and right to have 
have come back before we ever knew Him in salvation. He would be just to come back today and all those who are lost in their sin would be condemned because of their sin. They stand condemned already, the Bible says. But why is the Lord... Why do we have to wait on the Lord? Because the Lord is patient, not wanting any to perish, but that all should reach repentance. And so we must be patient and establish ourselves and prepare and wait while we also proclaim the good news to those who stand condemned as we once did. We must be patient because the Lord is patient with us. The result of this patience for those who believe in Christ is compassion and mercy. How joyful should we be that the Lord did not come back before we had the chance to believe? For those who will not repent, it results in their judgment. And so as we wait, as we establish ourselves, how, do, how does this take place? We should be pure. As we're establish, establishing ourselves, we're establishing ourselves in purity, and we should be pure. This is where we see some of the, some of the ideas in this passage that seem almost a little out of place. But I, I promise you they're not. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. This is very reminiscent of previous passages, right? Taming the tongue. We remember that in James, taming the tongue. If anyone can tame the tongue, they, they are a master of their body, able to completely be in control. Not speaking evil about one another. We had this just a few weeks ago in, the, in the, the chapter right before. Don't speak evil about one another, brothers and sisters. Right? The implication is that if we grumble against one another, that we are, there, there's a judgment for us there. That there is, this is something that we should not do. This animosity and division among the body is emblematic of a heart that has not been redeemed, or at least has not been, has not been uh, sanctified, has not come into fullness of sanctification by God. A heart that is focused on loving and serving Christ will not have time to be grumbling against one another or to be, uh, to be speaking evil about one another. But above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear by heaven or earth by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. So this is another step in our purity is, is the truth of our word. If you may be remembering of another passage that sounds very similar to this one, that Jesus said, Matthew 5, 34-37, But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is His footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great King. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you, let what you say simply be yes. Let, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. You see, when Jesus said this, there was a little bit of um, not allowing excuses as Jesus often, Jesus often did, where people would say, well, I don't murder, but I hate this person, right? It's like, well, if you even hate this person, you're guilty of murder. People would swear oaths. They weren't supposed to swear an oath by God, but they would swear by His throne because it's maybe a little lower than God, or, or by Jerusalem because it's, you know, it's lower. But He's saying, no, no oaths. Let your yes be yes, your no be no. And I'm painfully aware uh, that we can't make one hair on our head white or black. I, Jada has pointed out to me there are some white hairs appearing on the side of my head. Um, so our yes should be yes and our no should be no. So all of this, these two things, they seem a little out of place, right? Waiting for Christ to return, be patient, be steadfast. Hey, don't grumble about each other. Hey, your yes should be yes, your no should be no. Why are these two things in this passage? Well, what I want you to see here is that, that James is getting to a point where he is talking about some of the higher issues of our sanctification. He is talking about some of the higher issues of our sanctification. You look at a lot of Paul's letters, he's dealing with churches he's just planted, new Christians, 
And what do we see there? A lot of lists. Hey, don't do these things. All of these really bad things that, that we can list out, right? Don't do those things. Put those things away. Here's what you should start doing instead. Put off these things. Put on these things. We don't see a lot of those things in James. I think there's a little bit of an expectation that those things are being dealt with in the life of the believer. The purity of our life. That, hey, you used to be a hateful person that walked around and said evil things about, about people. You, you stole and you lied and you were a drunkard. I'm expecting, it seems like James is expecting that you've put some of those things behind you. So what is he focused on here? As we're preparing for the coming of the Lord, as we're preparing for the, the Lord being at the door, his, his, he is about to return. Hey, how is how you're talking? Are you grumbling against your brothers and sisters in Christ? Are, are you, is, your truth speech, is, your, is your speech truthful? Is the things you're saying right? See, he, he's calling us to purity in the face of our returning Savior. This is the purpose for which Christ died for us. Ephesians 5, 25-27 Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her, that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, so that He might present the church to Himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. James is reminding us that the Lord is coming and is seeking to address those issues related to our purity and righteousness. Seeking to present those He is shepherding, that He's leading, without spot, wrinkle, or blemish before the Lord on His return. And so as we look at our life, it's really easy. It's really easy to look at our life and say, well, you know, some of these things, those big bad sins we like to avoid, I don't really do those anymore. I've gotten pretty good at that. But what James is saying is that how are the... the there is not a single thing, there's not a single day where there's not something you can improve in being obedient to God. Right? We remember in James 3 what he says, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. So what he's saying here is that if you don't stumble in what you say, you are perfect. You've already achieved everything. And so as they are waiting for the coming of the Lord, the final thing he's, he's trying to make sure he addresses is make sure what you say lines up with a life that is consistent for the coming of the Lord. Because the Lord is coming soon. They are to remove all and any blemish, moving past the big bad sins, and to focus on presenting ourselves without spot or wrinkle to Christ. So why do these things matter? Behold, the judge is standing at the door. What does that mean? Somebody says they're on their way. That can mean anything, right? Depending on who you're talking to. I'm on my way. That might mean they're just now getting out of bed, right? That might mean they're in the car. That might mean they sent it from their car with a voice text, or maybe they were texting driving. They shouldn't have been doing that. Or maybe they are walking out of their car to your door. We don't have any question here. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. We will be judged by how we live. This reminder to live purely is because we remember that Christ the judge is standing at the door. It reminds me of Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Anyone who hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him. And he with me. In the context of this passage, uh, Jesus is rebuking the churches for not being faithful to him. This is an opportunity to repent. This, this passage is a little more reminiscent of, of Revelation 22.20. 20. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. 
when the judge comes through the door, when Christ returns, will He find you ready? Will He find you faithful? Because we see every passage that talks about the coming of the Lord said it will be like a thief in the night. When you don't expect it, and heaven will be opened up, everything is going to dissolve away, and Christ will have returned. Believers will be judged by what we do. This is not a salvation judgment, but this is a judgment of our actions on earth, on whether we were faithful to God. Romans 14, 10-12, Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. We will each give an account of ourselves to God. 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now I want to make this clear. This is not our salvation. Your salvation, whether you are judged guilty because of your sin or redeemed, because of it's only because of what Jesus has done for you. If it's by your works you are guilty, if you have believed and hoped in what Jesus has done for you, you will be proclaimed righteous because of what He has done. But the Bible says we will stand before the throne of God and give account for what we have done. And in many ways, this is a, a joyful thing because we will be rewarded for the things we've done in the name of Christ. 1 Corinthians 3, 13-15 says this, Each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. And so what we see here is that we will all, all the things we do in our life, we will give account for what we do. And whether it's good or bad, we're going to be saved as by fire just 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 getting into heaven because of what Christ has done, but we have to account and realize that our life was not faithful. That we weren't faithful to God. And if we do things and we, we serve Him, there will be rewards for the things we do in heaven. So what James is saying in this passage, what we need to continue to remember is that the judgment is coming. The judge is standing at the door. Christ says, I am coming soon. And the question we must all answer today is, are we living lives that are ready for the coming judgment? The first question you must answer is, do you have a relationship with Christ? This is the only thing that can declare your guilt or your innocence as re in, re in regards to salvation. Have you trusted and hoped in what Jesus has done for you for the salvation of your soul? Because if you are trying to work hard to be a good person, you're trying to work hard to be good enough, the Bible says by the works by, by works of the law, no man will be justified in his sight. We all stand condemned, the Bible says. But because of God's love for us, because of, of His love for us, Jesus came, He died and was raised again so that we might have a way to be saved. The Bible says that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you have not done that, you're not ready for the judge to return. He has been patient with you. And today is the day to repent and believe to make Him the Lord and Savior of your life. To submit and surrender your life to Him. If you do have a relationship with Christ, are you ready for the return of Christ? Are you ready to give an account of your life? To stand before the judgment seat of Christ and to give account for all that you have done? For all that you are doing? Are you living your life as a person that is patiently waiting and doing the work that's been provided? 
Are you, are you like the, the wicked workers in the story that Jesus told in Mark where, where He is waiting? Where they've, they've done the evil things while their master is gone. Are you being faithful? Are you ready to give an account of your life? Are there things you need to follow Him in obedience on? Are there things you've been putting off that you need to be obedient in? Are you living patiently and expectantly, believing that He is coming back? Believing that He says He's coming soon, that He's standing at the door, and that He could come back today or tomorrow? Are you remaining steadfast during that waiting? Are you easily swayed by the world? In a few moments, Becky's going to come and we're going to have this time of invitation. I want to invite you to deal with where you are in your relationship, your walk with God. If you don't know Him, today is the day to turn in repentance and to believe in Jesus, to make Him your Lord and your Savior. And if you do know Him, today is the day to establish your hearts, to remember that the Lord is at hand, and to prepare to stand before Him, and to, to expectantly wait for that day, to be joyful in waiting for that day. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we thank You that You have been patient with us. We thank You for the salvation that You freely give through Jesus. And God, I pray that if there are any who do not know You this morning, that today would be the day they would turn to You for salvation. They would turn to You and, and seek forgiveness. And God, I pray that as, as we sit here, as we seek to follow You, that we would live patiently and expectantly for Your return. That we would prepare our hearts, we would establish them in Your Word, we would be built upon what You call us to do. And that when You do return, You would find us faithful. And Lord, that, that we would not be ashamed, that we would not be ashamed of what we've done, that we would be able to stand and to look at how we've been faithful to You. I pray that You'll continue to sanctify us, make us more like You. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.